Yay, and we're live. Hello, everyone. <laughs> hi, and hi, Marsha. Hi, Marshine. It is so Did good I get to get your you. name right? It's yes. great seeing you. Yeah, it is. Uh, it's pretty special, this live, because we're in two different days right now. I'm still on Thursday. Nasheen, you are on Friday. Um, mm -hmm. Time zones are interesting. Um, and <laughs> welcome to my bathroom, the place where, because for me, it's 7 p.m., <laughs> where the best lighting is. I just heard, Nasheen, you're in a corner of your living room. Mm -hmm. it's yeah, very so it's very deceptive people are always like oh this is a great studio space that you have and I'm like yeah it's a, it's a studio in the corner of my living room yeah which is still a studio and this is the bathroom studio so um, yes that is always good so for anyone who's <laughs> tuning in we would love to hear which time zone you are at so where are you tuning in from and what time is it for you I would love to hear what kind of diversity we have in the people watching mm -hmm. And then we'll get into it um, in a minute because we have a really interesting topic today. I'm mm. honored to have you with us, Nasheen. I've been following you. for a while here on LinkedIn and uh, we got to talking and I said, hey, can we please get on a coffee call? Because I have to talk to you about public speaking. I have to talk to you about how women can become better speakers and have more impact and when we started chatting um, and we talked about different topics, this topic came up pretty quickly for you, right? Mm -hmm. Can you tell us a little bit about how this topic came up for you to talk about today? I think it's simply because I don't talk about it enough and it's always at the back of my head. So I coach people on public speaking and how to speak with more impact on camera and on stage. And I'm always talking about that. I'm always talking about how CEOs and founders of B2B companies can make more impact. So they're all speaking tips, which people love. But of course, at, at heart, I am a feminist. I grew up with a single mother. I, she was, for all intents and purposes, a feminist in a time and a place where women really did not have equal status. You know, I come from a very conservative country with progressive pockets, of course. I was lucky enough to be brought up in one of the progressive pockets, which is, of course, why you know, I went to really great schools and I went to New York on my master's and everything. But, of course, I was always really aware of the fact that not only am I a woman, but I'm also being brought up by a woman in a man's world. And a woman who always would tell me that I am no less than a man. But in telling me that, of course, she would draw attention to the fact that I was a woman. So I was very aware, I think, throughout my life. And it really, it's, it's always been very close to my heart. Just, of course, like equality and how women are treated and perceived, how we live our lives with the judgments and the preconceptions and the biases that we've internalized ourselves. And yeah, I think literally it's just something I don't get to talk about a lot, which, which I am really passionate about. So I think the fact that you work specifically with women, with women leaders, really triggered the that thought and it made me think about how this could be an interesting topic for us to discuss 
Amazing. Yeah, and I'm so glad that I'm able to give you a stage to speak about that and to really put that in a in a spotlight today. All right. So before we dive in, let me properly introduce you to everyone who hasn't heard of you, maybe, or if they've seen you on LinkedIn. Nasheen coaches CEOs to speak with maximum impact on stage, on camera, and in person. And she comes from the Fortune 50 world as well, the film world, where you directed commercials for seven years. Uh, Nasheen is a two times TED Talk speaker and believes that anyone can learn to speak fearlessly on any stage. And that that just lights me up because I also believe that. I also believe that anybody can learn to be a speaker with confidence on any stage. So today we are at the LinkedIn best practice series. That means we cut the bullshit and we go straight into topics with tips that you can use straight away. So tomorrow you can become a more confident speaker. Tomorrow you can change your communication habits. Um, and that's where today's topic comes in. So we're going to talk about how communication habits can hurt women's personal brands, their careers, and the impact they have when they are doing something like public speaking. Um, we're also going to tell you how you can change them. So let's start off with showing a little bit of what those differences are, Nasheen, between the way women and men communicate. Sure. And I do want to preface this by saying that, you know, I am one of the biggest believers in how our gender or the color of our skin, nothing is really in, nothing is very inherently different. I do believe we're all very similar and our this is, this is going to sound very sentimental, but I do believe like our humanity unites us or it has the power and the potential to unite us. But the sad reality is that we grow up in specific cultures with specific mindsets and specific biases. So these, I believe, are all learned behaviors. It's not, a, it's not like just because I'm a woman, I'm going to communicate a certain way. It's because I've grown up as a woman Mm -hmm. in a specific society with these specific biases that I'm communicating this way. So there's so many differences. I've picked five um, that we could talk about. There, there are a lot more. And these are not just based on my experience. They're based on research, TEDx talks. Some of it is based on uh, research of, uh, for, um, from um, some, a woman I, I admire, Dr. Alessandra Wall. I had her on my podcast. So... This is all, you know, things that these are these are things that have been studied. Mm -hmm. One of the, the so one of the things, the first one is something that I've experienced myself. This was a TEDx talk on female and male coders. So in the in the IT space, and uh, this lady has studied how female coders and male coders take their assignments to their teachers. And what is the first thing they say when they need help? She found out that when a female student has, no, I'll talk about the male first. She found out that when a male student has a problem with their assignment, with, their, with the code that they've written, and they go to a teacher, they say, hi, can you help me? There's something wrong with my code. Very straightforward. Mm -hmm. When a female student goes to a professor for help, they are more likely to say, hi, can you help me? There's something wrong with me. 
my code is not working. Mm-hmm. That is, it sends, like, it, it, it gives me chills each time I talk about it because that is exactly what I used to say. There's something wrong with me. This, this, this project isn't working. There's something wrong with me. My, my script doesn't make any sense. So this is, this is one of those behaviors. The second like, thing, I have done, yeah. sorry, I have done something wrong, right? Instead of the code is wrong, yeah. I have done something that made the code wrong. And immediately when you said that male version, I was like, there's something mm-hmm. wrong with the code. It almost puts the problem in it. It puts the problem outside of yeah. yourself, where in mm-hmm. the female version that you just explained, it put, it internalizes the problem. Yeah. Mm, yeah. That also hits home for me. All right. I'm really curious right. about the second one. Uh, yeah, this one was the, definitely the most pertinent because, yeah, you work with women in tech and I'm, I'm, I'd be really curious to know if this rings true with any of the women that you work with. I, it would be very interesting to know because it mm-hmm. definitely rang true with me. And the second one is when making a joke, men are more likely to make fun of the situation. Women are more likely to make fun of themselves, to engage in self-deprecating humor. This was... I, I, so I read this in research and I, I remembered one of my friends is a, um, is, is a well-known comedian and uh, comedy um, work, corporate comedy trainer. That makes sense. He talks about humor at work. That's his, his tagline, Andrew Tarvin. So he's done a lot of work and research for about, I, I would say, about 10 years now uh, on humor and work and how those two mix. And this is something that he brought up as well. When we were having a conversation, he said that, actually, I brought up the fact that, oh, yeah, I love self-deprecating humor. You know, just make fun of me all the time. And I say, oh, I was so silly. Or look at me. This is, this is me being a blonde. I'm just making mm-hmm. fun of myself. And he said that it's okay to do it once in a while. But in his experience, he saw women overuse self-deprecating humor and when you overuse it it undermines your authority it's really simple if you're always making fun of yourself always as a rule and never ever doing any other kind of humor then you're signaling to people that you're not really worth taking seriously it's it's really sad absolutely yeah and i can imagine how that can impact a career or a business if you're a business owner and how what I use with my clients is when we're doing goal setting, we always phrase it in the present moment as if it has already happened and we make it positive. So for example, this is not something that I work with my clients on, but it works really well as an example. Um, I want to lose weight is a negative goal because you want to lose something. Mm. But when you turn it into a positive, I want to feel better in my skin. I want to feel Mm. great in my skin, for example. Or I want to fit into these jeans. Like I'm not a fan of weight loss, but um, then it suddenly becomes something different and our mind focus on the words that we use. So we, we focus on those positive words or we focus on those negative words. And when you talk about this way of, of using humor, the minds of the people around you will focus on those words. So yeah. that you say, oh, I'm so silly or, oh, I'm so stupid or whatever. The focus is yeah. on stupid. The whole thing, the brain doesn't work that way where we feel like, oh, but we know that it's a joke. So unconsciously Mm -hmm. we're being like, we're remembering this. So fascinating to hear about this one. Mm -hmm. And with self-deprecating humor, the other piece is that a lot of people tend to 
use self-deprecating jokes because they want to be the first one to make fun of themselves because they, at the back of their minds, they think other people are going to make fun of them. So I might as well beat them to it and make fun of myself, which again, yeah. it works for sometimes if you're, if you're just, you know, if you're making a lot of different kinds of jokes and bringing humor into different situations and you use self-deprecating humor as part of the mix, yeah, it works. But yeah, using it all the time is, is where that there's a, some, some kind of a red flag. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the third one is, is very common when you have a meeting or a brainstorming session. A man is more likely to state their idea in the form of a sentence. This is a great thing to do. We should do this. And for a woman they're more likely to phrase their idea in the form of a question. Should we do this? What do you guys think of this idea? Maybe we should do it like this. And this is also backed by uh, research, which Dr. Wall told me about. We have upspeak, which is a really common phenomenon. It's been studied over and over that women engage in more upspeak, where even they even turn regular sentences into questions, which again, makes them seem like they're unsure of themselves. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So yeah, definitely. And you're giving, um, you're giving space for others to take your idea, which sadly that happens a lot. I hear this a lot from the women that I work with. They come with an idea mm -hmm. and a brainstorm exactly the way you, you're describing it, right? Like um, maybe this could be a good thing to do, question mark. And then someone else goes in, I think it's a good idea to do this and this. And they yeah. repeat the same thing and they get the credit. And then just and a little applause for those people who then redirected. Oh, I think that was Martha who said that. Mm -hmm. You know, those really thank you. But um, yeah. Yeah, you're giving space for someone to sort of hijack whatever you just said. And that's such a shame, right? Because then we're losing uh, the impact that we could have made with our idea. Yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. Very true. I didn't think of that, that yeah, it leaves, it, it opens a door for someone else to steal credit. So not just are you coming across as unsure of yourself, it's a double lose where you're <laughs> giving away an idea. That's so sad. And connected to this is overuse of, I think versus I know, or just stating a fact. So, um, when you say when you say the words I think for men, usually it is it is just a thought or an mm -hmm. idea, but not a fact. So for example, if I was to say, you know, the, the the weather is really great today, a woman is more likely to use I think even for I know statements. So a woman is more likely to say, I think the weather is really great today, which is not her thought. It's a statement. Just say it. Just say the weather is really great today. But we're we're just it all comes back to conditioning, right? It comes back mm -hmm. to the the fact that when we when we are brought up, specifically in certain cultures, but now this seems to be, you know, these are this is research based on all over, not just Asian cultures. Yeah. But I can, you know, I can kind of testify to it being very true in Asian cultures because that's where I grew up, where women were conditioned to be softer in their mm -hmm. voices and their opinions not really stick out not create a lot of trouble so just be soft be diplomatic mix in 
adapt, be flexible, make compromises. Those were lessons drummed into like my six-year-old brain mm -hmm. from that time, which is insane. That's an insane way to brainwash little female children. Definitely. And, and I think it's such a way to compromise, right? Because you are not making a strong statement. So if people disagree, you can still, oh, yeah, but I just thought or so it's a really safe sort of compromise way, which fits really well with what you just described of the softness, the flexibility, the going with the other person. But it's obviously not going to Uh, support you getting a raise if you keep saying I think maybe and then, then again John from accounting takes it over um, <laughs> or Martha from accounting for that uh, yeah same. so yeah swapping that or just taking it out right just taking mm -hmm. out that just leaving it mm -hmm. Yeah, so much of this is identifying, which I, I think we'll talk about in the next bit. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, what what are the, the the words that we use that that weaken our authority? But I'm I'm curious to know, was this similar for you when you were growing up? Because you grew up in the Netherlands, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. I'm, yeah. I'm so, assuming it should be a little bit better. It should have been a little bit better. I feel like it is a little bit better. Um, I've always been very opinionated. So it is in my nature quite, my mom is quite opinionated and a very strong woman. So I had an example of someone who voiced what she was, what she, what she was feeling and how she thought about things. And um, I think that has shaped me quite a bit. Um, but I also think that the Dutch culture being very direct has also helped with that. So that might be also a, a different way that we condition Uh, our condition, like the culture that we're in, in, in the Netherlands, we are very likely to say what we think about something and just state. Mm. So for me, that, that has been different. And I noticed when I started working um, with lots of international colleagues, that yeah. that was very different because when I was helping my female mm. colleagues who were Asian, for example, um, I, I told them then unknowing of, of, How firm I might sound. Just say it. Just say it. You know, you're losing out. And they were not able to just say it because it was so foreign to them. And it felt so uncomfortable because they were um, used to being more soft. So, yeah, it's mm -hmm. interesting. I think that the Dutchness might have even more to do with it, the culture aspect. Mm. Yeah, the, 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 the lovely Dutch directness which yeah. I'm, I'm a big fan of, but it's, it's definitely been, been studied as being on, on an extreme end of the spectrum. Definitely. That's true. Yeah. Um, so the fourth one is when is men versus women in terms of listening, when men are listening to some, someone, they're just more likely to just be quiet, just listen. And women make a lot of noises. Like, hmm, mm hmm, huh, oh. yeah. yeah, yeah, like that, right? We're just, we're, <laughs> I not mean to put you on the spot, but it's, it's really common. We feel the need to constantly reassure the other person that we are there, we're supporting them, go on, we're not going to interrupt you, keep going. And it's this constant need to 
support, which is good. It's a good positive signal. And I wouldn't say that there are a lot of negative um, you know, connotations to that, but it's just something interesting to observe, I would say. It's, it's just something interesting to see that men don't necessarily always feel the need to reassure the other person. And maybe there is a little more authority in that depending on the context. Yeah, yeah, perhaps assuming that the other person is at ease talking to you or listening to you or that, yeah, obviously they are at ease because they're talking to me. Um, but I don't know mm. if the fifth one has to do with this as well. Yes, it does. Yeah, because the fifth one is. One, they might be, a, they might be have a similar effect, but I'll let you go into the fifth mm. one. Now we can see. Yeah. So the fifth one is nodding, which we've talked about and which you talked about, I think, recently in one of your posts as well, mm -hmm. that women nod more and not just more, but women. So men nod when they agree with something. It's a very clear signal. They've agreed with you. They're nodding to indicate that. Women are likely to nod when they are listening and when they agree. So this definitely leads to some murkiness when a nod can be misconstrued as a woman agreeing when she was simply listening. And yes, you're right. I do believe the two are linked in the sense that they're coming from the same place, potentially, of wanting to reassure the other person. Yeah, I'm listening. Hmm, go ahead. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. And I've, uh, I've seen, and myself as well, I nod a lot. And I've seen women nod a lot. And just in many, many different situations where it really could be sending mixed signals. It's an interesting one. And I haven't made my mind up of what I think about it. Because as someone who supports people and who listens a lot, I nod a lot. I've like count, count the amount of times that I've been nodding in this life right now. Over yeah. a thousand, trust me. Yeah. So I I enjoy the, the comfort that it gives the other person, the sense of I'm hearing you go on mm -hmm. like that. I am fully focused on whatever that you're telling me. Um, so I really enjoy that aspect of nodding and using your sounds and your voice like mm -hmm, that kind of stuff. Um, but I also hear what you're saying. And I also hear what the research is saying of that this um, causes confusion where men who only nod when they agree think that you are agreeing which of course is is problematic and that can get really problematic at work sometimes so I haven't made my mind up yet because I'm also reluctant to say like not less like maybe the the, the there's a sweet spot in between where when you're having an important conversation about something where decisions need to be made and your voice needs to be heard that you're more conscious about it like okay maybe now I shouldn't not that much but it's an interesting one. It's an interesting one. I agree with you. I also have a funny story to share about nodding, which is, is mostly related, but I, I would love to know what you think of it. So I never realized that nodding could be slightly passive aggressive till I was... I was a very young manager and I was presenting to someone very, very senior. 
In fact, I had been flown into another country just to present to this person. And she was uh, literally, I think, the second most powerful woman in the company at the time. And she came to the little space where I was presenting. We were all, it was a strange, interesting kind of setup where we had a whole number of like different managers presenting in different spaces. So she would just kind of do a little tour. And she was there as I was talking and this lady could not stop nodding, but it was this kind of nodding. Uh-huh, yeah. So it really gave me the signal, hurry up, move it along. I got it. I got oh, it. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, you know who I am, right? You, you know that I get it, right? I, you know that the moment you open your mouth, I've already gotten what you're going to say. Oh gosh, yeah. That's what I got. She didn't say any of those words, bless her. She was still, you know, she was smiling throughout. But I just, I still remember, and this happened like more than 10 years ago. I I still remember how uh, strange I felt at this passive aggressive nodding. And I, I wondered if she knew she was doing it deliberately or if she was just doing it and she couldn't help it because she really was that busy and she knew she had to do, she had to attend 10 more presentations, probably all along the same vein. And she was just, you know, being, being nice, but then she made us realize (laughs) what she was feeling through that nodding. It was bizarre. And of course you being an expert at, presenting I don't know where in your career you then were but I'm sure you knew one thing or two about body language and was were very aware of your own body language in that presentation and so also what her body language was telling you and they're having that kind of yes yes I already know what you're going to say three sentences from now nerve-wracking I can imagine yeah I, I would say I was very young at the time. I was just starting out. So yeah, I don't, I, but I, I definitely picked up on a lot of those signals. Yeah. 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 Great. Okay. So we've got these five things that women differ from in general from, from men um, by the way that we're conditioned, by the way that we have been working around society. And what, um, looking at the time, I'm going to go into how we can solve these because we've discussed them quite in, in, in detail. So how can we kind of make some small changes perhaps to have more impact when we speak? Mm-hmm. So I think that it has to be tackled in both the micro aspects and the macro aspect. And it's very personal for a lot of people. You might look at this list or other lists of how women differ from men in terms of communication skills and identify only with a few of them. So on the micro aspect, it's of course about identifying which of these or other behaviors you might be subconsciously channeling and exhibiting in different situations, both in one-on-one conversations as well as one-to-many conversations because they're both important in terms of establishing your authority, establishing your confidence, making sure that you're sending the right signals out, showing that I know what I'm doing, I'm very much in control. I very much understand this and I'm going to be telling you about it in a way that shows it. So first identifying which of these things you might be doing. For me, for example, I think it was definitely the nodding and overusing, I think, and also upspeak, upspeak, which was common everywhere. So 
I identified those behaviors and first just identifying them, I believe makes you more aware of using them in the moment. So if you just take some time identifying them, just making a list and tell yourself the next time I'm just having a conversation, I'm, I just want to be aware of it. Don't, don't force yourself or pressurize yourself to make any changes yet. Just be aware. Just being aware of it will probably diminish it by a little. And then you can, after the next time, let's say you're going to make a presentation and you're going to find some time to rehearse, rehearse it using these things in mind, making sure that you don't use, you don't overuse, I think, when you're actually saying, I know. Understand the difference between the two. Don't overuse questions unless it is a question, then by all means, make it a question. Yeah. So that's a process. It can take weeks, months, years, because you're really targeting learned behaviors over a period of time. And then on a macro level, it's about understanding what it is that you really want to achieve, what and where you are right now. And that takes a more macro level approach. You can do peer assessments and self-assessments. This is something that I do with all my clients, which I love doing right at the outset, where I ask them to assess themselves on their own communication skills, specifically in the areas they want to work on. So it could be presentation skills or public speaking skills, on-camera speaking skills, one-on-one -on -one speaking skills. And also, see if you can take some time to ask your peers for an evaluation. Your peers, your uh, people that are reporting into you, your friends, your managers, and maybe even your friends and family. And ask them to anonymously and objectively evaluate your communication skills in terms of how confident you come across in different situations. When do you not appear confident? What are some of the mannerisms that they might have observed that you could be working on? What are some things that they have seen change over time? If these are people that have known you over a while. And these are great, this is great data for you to have because a lot of times you don't know how you're coming across, but other people can of mm -hmm. course tell you. And this is where it's important to get a wide range of responses so that you get data from different sources and then you can decide for yourself which of that is important, which of that is helpful and which you can just forget about. So getting that feedback and then putting a strategy in place. And I do want to say something here that it's not going to change overnight. Even if you feel equipped to change your behavior overnight, if you really do it, then it's going to be very jarring for people around you. You're, people are going to think you're going through something. There's something wrong. There's something weirds happened. So it has to be a gradual change. It's really just about understanding what kind of persona goes really well with the goals that you have in mind. You want to become a VP in your company. You want to become the COO. Great. Then what are the kind of behaviors that you need to exhibit in your communication skills, as well as other areas, of course, that will lead up to that? And where are you right now? And how do you bridge that gap? Great. What a, what a good summary as well. Yes, I think that is, that is absolutely it. To know where you're going and to know what you can change gradually. Otherwise, you get kind of the, which I really hate, where you suddenly stop wearing makeup where you normally always wear makeup. And people are like, are you sick? 
Like, no, <laughs> no, I'm not. Like that's, you don't want to get that effect when you start not nodding yeah. anymore. And like, are you mad? Mm. No. Yeah. Mad. Um, so I think that is, that is a really good addition to this. And for me personally, some of the words that I've kind of phased out and I'm still working on, because I just said kind of, it's one of those words that I kind of phased out that maybe is a word for me, I believe is one of those things. I believe mm. that I can do that. I can do that. And for me, it's have very often been just removing the word. Like it doesn't even need to be replaced by something. Removing the I think, the maybes, the I believes, and then slowly start to create those new behaviors. And like you said, like the becoming aware of it is step one, and you'll notice mm. it more and more. And you'll be able to change it every now and then. And I'd be like, damn, damn, I did it again. It's <laughs> <laughs> really I interesting. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, I cut you off. Currently, I'm switching the sorries for the thank yous. And I just did a, a three-day training. And um, there was something wrong with the Zoom meeting. And I think I said sorry three times and removed it for thank you. So it was like three times in one minute where I said, sorry for needing to, and then I was like, I mean, thank you for your patience. So it's, it's, yeah. it's a learning process. I was going to say that it's really interesting that you bring up the fact that you've had to just take away these extra words, because again, according to research, women talk more than men in general because we often feel that we need to explain ourselves more. Mm. And this is, again, very much conditioning, where if a woman brings forward a new idea, more likely than not, she's asked a lot of questions. What data do you have to back this up? Is this based on just your experience, or do you have research? Has this been tried before? She's asked a lot of questions and is asked for a lot of data to back up what she's saying. So she tries to preempt it by adding that in, therefore making her more verbose when she's talking and just presenting. Yeah. With a man, more likely than not, they are not asked those many questions. If they are, if they're presenting something new, this is an idea that should be implemented. More likely than not, they will get a response saying, okay, you have the experience. This must be a great oh. way forward. <laughs> It's tough yeah. to hear that. It's tough. It's, yeah. it's tough. We're, we're, we're paving the way. And, and uh, things like this, talks like this, conversations and discussions around the topic um, are so good for both women and men to be aware of this. So that perhaps mm -hmm. the men at work might not a little bit more to encourage some of the women. Um, and that way we can, we can, kind of create a better environment where it's not that a male pitch is going to be more likely to be accepted than a woman pitching. I see a mm -hmm. question coming in from the chat. So before we yeah. um, close off, let's see, Nathan, so glad that you're with Hi, us. Nathan. What can we as men do to help and support women in this respect? Nathan, you're such an mm -hmm. advocate, I love it. <laughs> Any thoughts from you here, Nosheen? Oh, that's an awesome question. I also I also wanted to take a second to say, again, this is something that's been kind of 
taught to me by a lot of other feminists and researchers is that I don't want men to think of this as a man bashing, a male bashing session, because that is not what it is. We, I, I love men. We all love men. We have men in our lives that are very, very dear to us. And we absolutely believe in, at least I absolutely believe in equality and not that women are superior in any way, shape or form. Mm -hmm. This is not that. So I do want to say that, you know, it's, I don't, it's not that women are at a disadvantage because of men. I honestly believe it's because of the entire system around us. There are many, many things that men do as well that could be disempowering that are of course you know there's toxic masculinity that we talk about a lot which where they are for sure a, a victim of that young boys are a victim of that it's not that it's not that they live in this paradise and we live in this terrible um situation which is not the the, the case i think that with men being aware of the biases that you're bringing in is the absolute best thing that you can do. I cannot tell you the number of times I have heard a man in my life, uh, either you know in a work situation or in a personal situation, tell me that, oh, women are just better at expressing their emotions because they're women, right? Women are more nurturing because they're mothers or they're sisters. No, just, just try to understand, just try to identify all these thoughts in your head that you've been conditioned to believe, which are simply not true. I, I am a woman who is terrible at expressing her emotions. My husband is amazing at it. He tells me all the time that, you know, Nasheen, you need to get better at expressing what you feel. Mm -hmm. I feel it in my writing. I mean, and they're, they're just, it's just about building up these stereotypes that then make you think of the world in a very black and white way, which is something that, is never really is never really beneficial. Wonderful, such such a such an interesting response, Nasheen. Yeah, definitely to be aware of those biases and that way kind of recondition your own mind and which we are doing as well as women. Uh, it's also a great advice for anybody, right? And I think, mm -hmm. um, like very practical, practically what you can do is when those moments do happen, when perhaps an idea that a woman had, but she phrased it in a way perhaps like I think, or maybe you should change it into a question and somebody else goes and runs away with this idea in a meeting, that you bring the focus back to her, that you you step up in a moment like that. And whether that is a man who does that or a woman, that doesn't matter, of course, for anybody mm -hmm. who wants to help in such a situation to say, hey, I think that idea came from Susan. Um, and that way, giving back the spotlight to her so that, you know, mm. she doesn't miss out on that, on that impact. I see more coming in. Yeah, this is so great. I love, I love people talking back because then it feels like we're not just talking in a vacuum. So thank you guys exactly. for sending in out. your comments. <laughs> yes, I see from... G.E. Bowders, great to see you. Great question, Nathan. I think women need to be cognizant, sorry, not a native Cognizant. Speaker. Cognizant, thank you, of how we treat one another too. So many times it feels like women are in competition with one another and cut them down instead of holding them up. Oh. Definitely, yes. Oh I feel gosh, this is, yeah, so this much, is terrible. There's, there's so much.
space for all of us to get a seat join in yeah. to to have a piece of the pie there's so much space for all of us and once we realize that we're actually holding back our own potential by not giving to other women not saying recommending other women not talking mm. about their accomplishments to our superiors for example at work you're holding yourself back because that is so respected somebody who puts somebody else forward and says well what she did last week in that presentation it was amazing that's respected somebody who does that and when when yeah. you do that for her she can rise and you can rise and we can all rise so thank you yeah. for that to the attention there's um i i would say you know this it's very interesting i think about this a lot because there are two ways there are two very different schools of thought on this one is that if you are from a minority group again whether it's based on gender race or or you know sexual affiliation anything or orientation um if you're from a minority group and you are in a position of power there are there's a school of thought that believes that you should all other things being equal favor other people from either your own minority group or other minority groups. Mm -hmm. This is a controversial thought, which I think a lot about because I don't know, just like you, I haven't really made up my mind. I, in a lot of situations, I do stand with that. Again, all things being equal. So you have really simple example, you, mm -hmm. you know, you're in charge of hiring, you have two candidates who re really, really have equal skills and one of them belongs to a minority group. If you're in a position of power, because of the fact that it, this is someone coming from systemic oppression, this is someone who would not get this opportunity otherwise, you should be hiring that person. Yeah, it's controversial. You get, you know, you get guns pointed to at your, to your head if you if you talk too much about it. I think in certain situations, because of course, yeah. then there are the others who are always, you know. Uh, all like it's 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 just it's who who say that no you should be blind you should be color blind and gender blind i would love to live in a world where that's possible i would love to live in a place where you really don't care about what gender someone is or what race someone belongs to but i i do feel that if you say that you're you're not living in the real world that's that's not where we are right now yeah, perhaps that is not yet a feasible thing to do, or it is not something we can do. It's not. It's not going to change anything. Like it's not going to make the change that we're all longing for. The 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 equality, um, and I think the way you described it in the case of exactly the same skills, the same capabilities. What do you do? And, and you're right. It's a controversial topic, and it's challenging to answer it. It is. Yeah. Yeah. I see Kimberly. Good that you're here. Mm -hmm. Men are some of our best allies. We must recognize yes. our individual strengths and leverage them together. Absolutely. The fact that Nathan is here today, I love Nathan and I talk a lot here on LinkedIn. And um, I always assume and assumption uh, assumptions are dangerous, right? But I always assume that I'm going to get only women 
who come to the LinkedIn best practices, even though they are um, they are about careers and that is general, they're usually focused on more women-centered topics. Um, but it is it's fantastic to see men coming too, because like Kimberly, like you just mentioned, we need each other. Exactly yeah. like Narsheen just mentioned, this is not a thing of all the women unite against the men. No, let's let's become um, this beautiful harmony of together striving for a world where things are more equal than they are today. And, and I think we we did a little bit of contribution contribution to that today. We we brought a little bit of light to something that needs a little bit more light. So thank you all for your comments. I really love hearing what your thoughts are. Yeah, me too. Great. All right. So as we close off, Nasheen, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom, for sharing your expertise with us. And for anyone who's watching and who is just as um, gravitated towards you as I am, uh, how can they follow you? And how can they work with you if they feel like they want to invest in more development for themselves in the speaking area? Well, thanks for asking that. So I work one-on-one -on -one with CEOs and founders of B2B companies, also senior management, who want to strengthen their personal brand, become thought leaders, and eventually grow in their career or grow their businesses through speaking. Speaking on bigger stages, industry events, perhaps TEDx, but also speaking on camera and speaking in interviews, doing media interviews, doing podcasts. So building your thought leadership through speaking is what I'm specializing in. And a great way for people to work with me is through one-on-one -on -one coaching. I'm always here on LinkedIn if you want to reach out to me and ask me more about that. I'm also going to be launching my second bootcamp. I did a cohort last year. It was amazing. It was a multicultural group of five people and we worked together for a month in building foundational public speaking skills, both on camera and in person. And I'm going to be doing a, a second cohort in February. So if you're interested in that, ask me about that. And I have a great newsletter, which is full of free, super actionable frameworks for becoming a better speaker. So you can grab that as spe at speakasaleader.com, which is kind of this. Um, so if you, if you haven't signed up, I would love to see you there. I share things there that I don't share on LinkedIn. So you'll get, you know, more detailed frameworks and things that you can just read and really apply the next day. Wonderful. Wonderful. Yes. If you feel like this is something you want to grow, follow the newsletter, send Nasheen a DM. She's really fun to talk to. Um, and uh, I want to thank all of you for tuning in and putting this time into your development and your career. You can follow me here on LinkedIn for more tips and tricks on how to shatter the glass ceiling as a woman in tech or male dominated industries, whether that is your personal glass ceiling, perhaps you wanna do something brave, you wanna start a business, you wanna found a startup, or it is the glass ceiling of a corporate that you're working for or a business where you're working for. Um, I share every weekday lots of juicy fun tips and um, I can't wait to, um, to get to know you a little bit better when we connect. So thank you, Nasheen. Thank you, everyone else. And, Thank uh, you. Thanks so much, Marcia. It was great talking to you. Good. Likewise. Enjoy your Friday. I'm going to enjoy my dinner on Thursday. 
and uh, um, talk to you all later on LinkedIn. Awesome. Thank you so much, everyone, for joining us. It was it was great that you guys were here and it was great having this conversation. Thank you again for inviting me. You're welcome. Bye, everyone. Bye.